Just a little heads up before you get into this podcast. Trigger warning. Um, I'm not going to go into details in this podcast, but I do want you know to know that this is about abuse and trauma. So if you don't have it in you to listen to it right now, I totally get it. But if you do have at it, I do swear a lot because I, I am talking about my own trauma. Thank you for listening and please take care of yourself as you do. to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. This is the third episode in season five. My pronouns are she, her, they, and I am on the unceded land of the Multnomah, Wasco, Calitz, Kalapuya, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Malala, and many other tribes that made their home in and around Oregon or Portland. And I want to remind everybody that land acknowledgements are important, but also supporting and um, backing indigenous movements and initiatives are more important even than just using our words to do something. So putting our money, our power, our energy behind... um, behind those movements is very important. Um, What I want to talk today about, what I want to talk about today, getting my sentence structure correct, is something that is pretty hard for me to talk about. And if you've been listening for a while, you'll know I talk pretty openly about my own personal trauma growing up. Because where I I don't necessarily think everybody needs to talk about that or everybody needs to be comfortable talking about it. I am comfortable talking about it to some degree. And the reason is I've done a lot of work around it and I will continue to do a lot of work around it for the rest of my life. It's not a one and done, especially for sexual trauma. I think probably any trauma, it's a one, <laughs> it's a one and never done. Um, But there's a lot of things that come up having that in my DNA, in my background, and in my experience. And I have built a comfortability around talking about it because it is important for me to talk about it. It takes the shame out. It um, removes stigma It flies in the face of people that don't believe other people. And I want to be a person that flies in the face of perpetrators of violence against other people. I want to stand up for the child in myself that was not stood up for. I want to stand up for all the parts of myself that were not defended, that were not believed, that lost family and 
not to mention a lot of other things along the way, um, because I chose not to be quiet about what happened to me. Um, a few, I don't think it was last season, maybe the season before that, I did a podcast around Be Someone's Believer. And I've been thinking a lot about that because something has come up recently that I've been talking a lot about (laughs) in my therapy appointments. And I'm also honest about therapy because that is how I have pieced myself back together and will continue to piece myself back together from the violence done to me as a kid. And that kind of continues to be done to me, not kind of, let me just call it out, continues to be done to me by people that refuse to believe me. And that continue to support people that actively harmed me as a child. And that's what I want to talk about. What does it mean to truly be somebody's believer? And I think for a lot of us, it doesn't seem like it's that hard. And so that's why I want to talk about it, break it apart. I I know this is, for some of you, this is going to be a hard topic. I don't know if there's anybody at this stage in the game in life living in the world that is not experiencing or has not experienced some experienced some trauma. My trauma was done to me at a very very young age and continued um continued for a long time. And I dealt with it by um disassociating and not remembering which is a miracle. And what I mean by that is it's a, it was a flat-out miracle for me to repress those memories and survive it. I'm not going to get into why, the hows, all that, because you can go back to other podcasts that I've done that gets into that, you know, what repressed memories have done for me, how, how it helped me, and how it doesn't help me anymore. Um... But the reason I want to talk about this and kind of unpack it a little bit is um, it's another level of living in the world as a survivor of sexual violence done to me as a child. And that's why this is going to be a hard topic for some of you. So I totally get it if you cannot listen. Um, I'm not going to get into details about what happened to me. That's pretty much all I'm going to say. You can fill in the blank if you need to to kind of understand um, children are vulnerable and um, I was a vulnerable child and stuff happened to me at the hands of my mom's parents, my grandparents. There's so many layers that I'm not going to get into, but one of the layers that I want to get into is this layer of being complicit. Complicit, I can say that word. Um, My mom was complicit. And to some degree, my dad was complicit too because he questioned to some degree whether it was safe for me to go to my grandparents, but he didn't do anything to stop it. But he also didn't know for sure. And he is a product of his generation, so I guess I'm making excuses for him, but to some degree, he had no idea. And along with that, my dad has done some work and apologized for some things, so... 
my dad has owned what a man in his mid to late 70s can own and apologized to me for some of the things that he didn't see and didn't know about. And then ways that when I came out about my abuse that he did not support me and show up for me. So we have a relationship that exists in that complicated way of a person that's owned some things, hasn't owned some other things, and is and is trying to do the best they can with the tools that they that they have, which is not the tools of therapy or anything else. And so our relationship is complicated. Um, and I have to choose how much time I spend with him. I have to think about my boundaries when I do spend time with him. I have to think about, you know, going back to what we talked about last week, what feels good to me, what doesn't feel good to me. Um, often ending up, doing things that my family does not want me to do because what my family wants me to do never you know flat out saying it is they want me to forget that it happened they want me to you know pretend it didn't happen go along to get along and you know treat it like it's water under the bridge well I'm not willing to do that And so most of the time in my family of origin, I come out feeling like the bitch. Or I can't, I don't know what my family's thinking, but it's not hard to guess with sometimes the way they act that I am a problem. That is uncomfortable for me as a two on the Enneagram. I don't want to be the problem. I don't want to cause problems. I really enjoy it when people get along. I don't love conflict. So all of these things force me into a position a lot where I have to do what does not feel natural to me. And that's to make waves, push back, say no, all those things. Well, something happened recently that I want to talk about. And and it brings me to this idea of being complicit. So my mom was complicit in my abuse. She took me to her parents. I didn't want to go. Um, And her parents abused me. And then nobody talked about it. And we continued to go to my grandparents on a regular basis. And I blocked all that out until I got pregnant with my son at 29, almost 30. And then started having to deal with all of those years of repressed memories. My mom has owned none of that. My mom will not look at it. My mom refuses to apologize for her part in it. And there's so much to the story that I'm not going to get into it. But one of the things that my mom did... When I was pregnant with my daughter, who I have a son who is now 22 and my daughter just turned 20. So I was pregnant with my daughter 20 years ago. My mom sued me with a lawyer, tried to sue me with a lawyer in town that does not believe in repressed memories for visitation rights of my children, which meant that I would have to take my two children to see her and her parents. So think about it. The two people 
her parents that caused me the most pain, relentless pain, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my mom tried to sue me and force me to let her take my children to her parents' house, my abusers. I didn't have any money. I didn't feel like I had any power. I was deep into therapy at the time and um, pretty much, I would say now looking at it, barely hanging on for those of you that are in that place. It doesn't feel like it, but it does get better. And um, so that was what my mom did. She took something that was incredibly painful for me that I was trying to work through, come out of, and hired a lawyer to try and force me to let her parents see my children. That, in some ways, is more painful for me than the actual abuse that I experienced. Because now... It's something that potentially could harm my children in the same way that I was harmed. And so I carry that around with me. It's very painful. Not very many people know about it. The story is way deeper than that. But that's the gist of it. And I think the gist of it is enough. So that is something that now everybody in my family knows. Everybody knows that my mom hired a powerful lawyer in town that I would say hates victims of abuse that try to get free from their abusers, hates them and goes after them. And, you know, went after me. And my brother knows that. My older sister knows that, and um, my dad knows that now. And so my dad doesn't try to force me to see... My parents are not married. My dad does not try to force me to see my mom. He doesn't see my mom. Um, he has learned to not force me or set me up anymore with my siblings who don't believe me. So there's so many things that have happened, and I don't think they're that important for the story. But I have two siblings, one that I don't have a relationship because she does not believe anything happened to me. And then I don't have a relationship with my mom, and I will never have a relationship with my mom because she is unwilling to admit that she was complicit. And what the way I look at complicit complicity. I don't even know how to say that word. How I look at somebody that is complicit is somebody that knows what they're doing and is willingly do it, doing it and it's bad. And I put my mom, and this might be hard for some of you to understand, but because of the other things that she's done to double down on what she did as a parent, which may have been at the time something she wasn't even aware of but now she is she she's doubled down is in my mind she's equal to the parents that to my grandparents that actually abused me if not worse so chew on that for a little while and I think in a lot of cases with people that have survived this kind of trauma 
in some ways, the person that allowed the trauma and turned a blind eye to the trauma knowing that it was going on, or when the person who was traumatized came out about the trauma or comes out about the trauma and gets attacked again or destroyed by the family or forced to shut up or go into hiding or whatever it is that people have to do to survive this kind of traumatic experience, those complicit people are worse than the people that actually did the traumatizing. And the reason is, is because now you can get away from, maybe get away from the people that traumatized you originally, but now you have another person that you're supposed to trust. And, you know, when it's a parent, that is continuing to traumatize you. At least that's my experience, and that's kind of how I see it, and that's why I will never have a relationship with my mom. And I know it's hard for some people because they don't have a com complicated relationship like this with their parents. It's your parents. You're supposed to love your parents. Well, that's your parents are supposed to love you. Your parents are supposed to protect you. Your parents are supposed to believe you. So that's where we're at. So my siblings know that not only did I experience abuse at the hands of my grandparents, but they know that then my mom turned around when I came out about it and tried to force me through a court of law to make my kids go to her house. My kids that were not even in school yet, which wouldn't have mattered anyway to my grandparents. But So what does it mean to be somebody's believer? It means that when you know that kind of a truth, my experience of being re-traumatized over and over again at the hands of my mother, who now, like I said, I can't have a relationship with, won't have a relationship, and actually am liberated by that fact. These people still try to set me up. I'm just going to say it because I'm done apologizing, and if they listen to this and they don't like it, well, I guess I'll deal with the consequences because really, I don't care. I do care, or I wouldn't be talking about it here saying I don't care. I do care because I like I want people to like me. But I also want people to know what translates to a traumatized person when you do something like this. I was invited to my niece's graduation, and I was pretty excited to go. And um, it was going to be complicated for me to get there, but because we have a lot of stuff going on at the same time. But I was like, okay, I'm going to go. This is a way that I can show up for my niece, which I, I feel like because of the way my relationship has existed with my brother, who was very late in the game of believing me in the first place, did not believe me for many, many years, and then finally had his own experience with our mom and cut her out. Um, I felt like it was finally a way that I could show up for my niece. It would feel safe to me. Pretty easy. And then three weeks ago, I got a text from my sister-in-law letting me know that, um, you know, the graduation was going 
you know, was going off as planned, all the details about the graduation, and then said, I thought I should let you know, because I don't want to set you up, that Josh, that's my brother, is seeing your mom again, and your mom has been invited to the graduation. I didn't want you to come and be surprised by that. And oddly enough, I was standing in the waiting room to go into my therapy appointment and my therapist came out to get me and she was like, how's it going? And I was like, well, up until this moment, I was doing pretty good. And I just got a text from my sister-in-law that my mom is going to be at my niece's graduation. So if I was talking to you, and you had told me the story that I just told you. And then you said, I was looking forward to going to my niece's graduation, but now my abusive mom has been invited. And now what do I do? I would feel so, <laughs> probably quite a few emotions, but I would feel enraged on your behalf that you have to be the one that now has to navigate whether you go or you don't go. You're the one that doesn't get to show up for your niece if you don't feel safe to do so. And then, again, that communicates to your family that whatever it communicates, that you're a bitch, that you always make waves, that you just can't get your shit together, or whatever it communicates, I don't know. I would be enraged for you because I feel like that is the natural healthy response because I have to make the choice because they aren't willing to make the choice to not invite my mom so I have to make the choice of whether I'm going to go and run into my mom or not go I'm telling you right now I'm not going because it is not safe for me it's not safe for the inner child that I carry around with me that was not protected and is it's my responsibility to protect her. Will I be safe there? Yes, but that's not the point. So I want to break this down a little bit because at first I was like, well, I'm really glad my sister-in-law is telling me because I would have shown up and been blindsided and unprepared to see my mom because I wasn't expecting to see her if my sister-in-law hadn't told me. So that's one element. There's another element where I'm just so pissed off at my brother. Because I feel like in some ways we've come so far. This is my baby brother. This is somebody that I helped raise, took care of predominantly when my mom would do whatever she was doing. When I was homeschooled for a while. This is somebody that I love and that cannot break free of my mom for whatever reason who's done shitty stuff to his kids. My mom, not my brother. And then on another another level, I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on in their family, but I'm like, I'm mad for my niece and my nephew because I don't think they should be exposed to my mom. But that's not my decision because I'm not their parent. My brother can tell me with his words that he believes me and that our mom is difficult for him. But what he communicates with his actions is that he does not believe me. 
Because when you believe somebody that has been traumatized, like I have been traumatized, and like so many other people have been traumatized by grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, you do not force them or trick them or choose the perpetrator over that person. Let me say that one more time. If you are a traumatized person, if you have been traumatized by an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a teacher, a preacher, a priest, whoever it is, your family, if your family believes you, a family that believes you would not make you choose between hanging out with them your family, and being potentially exposed to somebody that brutalized you. Because when you believe someone, you choose the person that's been victimized over the person that did, did the victimizing. It's, a, it's not even a question. You don't ever choose the person that did the victimizing, even if they're like, oh, I, I didn't know. Whatever the bullshit thing is that they say, you do not choose them over the person that has been traumatized. And there is no middle ground. You saying, well, I'm not choosing sides, is you choosing sides of the perpetrator. So let me say that again. If you know somebody that has been traumatized, and you also know the person that did the traumatizing, there is no middle ground. You can't say you don't choose sides. Because if you say you don't choose sides in situations of abuse, you have chosen a side, and that is the side of the perpetrator. Because the only alternative to the person that has been victimized is to do whatever it takes to protect themselves, which means they can't go to any of the things that you're going to. It means when you hang out with the person that raped or beat up or whatever the situation is, if you're hanging out with that person, then you've chosen them. And that is communicating that you do not believe the person that has been wronged. There, it's, it's very clear cut. But for some reason, people cannot understand it. So that's the thing. As my brother is choosing my mom, I am aware it's complicated. It's his mother. Believe me, I am probably the most aware that it's complicated because I lost my mother in deciding that I wasn't going to continue to be victimized by her. It wasn't without pain. It wasn't without struggle to decide to not be in a relationship with my mom, even though she brutalized me. It's not cut and dry. It's not easy for the victim to make these kind of choices. It's very painful. So that's the one level. And then there's the other level of my sister-in-law where I had to take a step back and go, she is also complicit. Yes, she told me. Yes, she warned me. And I'm very grateful to that because it would have been very traumatic for me to show up at that graduation and have to figure out how to navigate my mom, even though my mom is afraid of me from what I've heard through the grapevine. It's still traumatizing for me to have to see her and navigate her bullshit, which she is full of, because she's the victim here in her mind, even though I was a child. But what my sister-in-law did is she warned me, which I'm, again, I'm very grateful for, 
But at no point, as far as I understand, did she say to her husband, my brother, your mom can't come because I've invited your sister. Your mom cannot come because I have invited your sister who has been traumatized by your mom and I will not do that to your sister. And side note, I won't do that to our kids. Because in a, in a marriage, the husband and the wife, the wife and the wife, the husband and husband are equals. They both get to make that decision together. And my sister-in-law is equal in that decision-making process. So it leaves me in the position once again, having been in this position hundreds of times with my family where I have to decide not to go. And that's painful for me, you guys. It's painful for me to go on so many levels. Like, it's painful that I don't get to show up for an, for my niece at a pivotal moment in her life. And then I go, well, could, could I do it? Which is also painful. Then then I question myself. And then I put myself in a position again where I, I potentially agonize over the decision I'm making. No, I cannot go. Because that is going to hurt myself. It's going to hurt the, the very innocent child self that I work very hard to protect from being re-traumatized because that's my responsibility that my parents didn't do is to keep her safe. So no, I will not go. And then again, to on top of everything, feel rejected by my brother who I helped raise and by my sister-in-law who I love. So it's layer after layer after layer of just another another point, another place where I have moved through this to some degree and now I'm brought back. I'm not back at the beginning because I've done, you know, 22 years of therapy around this and will continue to do therapy. So I'm not going to say that I'm back at the beginning, but I am going to say that this is unnecessary trauma for me. And now I have to do work with my therapist it's it's all good work. So, yes, good work. I'm glad I'm doing it. I'll get more liberation. I'll get more freedom. I'll get more empowering. And I don't want to do this work right now. I don't think it's fair that I have to do the work and my brother doesn't have to do any work. He doesn't have to own that this is hurtful to me. And I'm in a place where I don't want to tell him because I've said it before. And so here I am in pain about a situation where I feel like my only option is to not go and then do work around how that feels to me. Pretty shitty, actually. (laughs) Truth be told, pretty shitty. So where does that leave you? Well, if all I can do is tell you my story so that you can show up for somebody in a different way than my family is showing up for me, then, then that is enough. If you can look at a situation where maybe it feels it feels complicated, you know, but I but I love this person's partner or I love this this is really good friends and they've had a violent interaction and I'm just going to stand in the middle. Maybe there are some middle places. But usually there's not. So how are you going to show up for the people in your life that are traumatized? 
are you going to be complicit and expose them to more trauma or think that you can sit in the middle when you cannot sit in the middle because the middle is choosing the perpetrator's side? For you, if you are like me and you have experienced trauma, how are you going to care for yourself? Because I know it is fucking complicated. Because sometimes I just want to go. Sometimes I just want to go, screw it. I don't want to be the bad guy here. I don't want to be the bitch again. I don't want to be the problem child. But I have come far enough to know that I am worth not going. I am worth not re-traumatizing myself. I have more value than maybe any of these people that have my same blood will ever understand. I have more value than any of these people I share blood with will ever understand. You have more value than maybe any of the people in your life that you share blood with or you were in the same church with or the same parish or the same synagogue or the same school or the people that didn't believe you, the people that ignored you. You are worth more than allowing yourself to be re-traumatized if you can stop it. And you may not be able to. You may not be at the place where you have enough wherewithal, enough distance from it where you can do that, but you might be able to do it the next time. Or you might be able to leave early the next time. You might be able to put plans in place so you cut your exposure or you do whatever you can do to mitigate the damage until you can say, no, I'm not going to do this. This hasn't happened overnight for me. I have spent years allowing myself, strengthening myself, and talking myself into it and putting up boundaries in situations that I probably should have just not gone. I probably just should have said, this podcast is so full of swears this time, you guys, and I'm not sorry. Or I probably just should have said, should have said, fuck you all. If you're choosing her, then you're not choosing me. And I'm choosing me. If you're setting me up by inviting people to a party that have actively come against me and don't believe me, then I'm choosing me. I'm not choosing you. Fuck all you all. There are so many ways that we are traumatized. We are traumatized in... You know, the things that we're choosing to stand up for, the things that we're not willing to take anymore, being in the bodies that we were meant to be in and standing up for that or standing up for our sister who is gay and is married, but nobody will acknowledge it or our child who is trans and the entire family has rejected because they don't believe that trans people exist, whatever the bullshit is that people are doing and saying that is traumatizing. And whatever you can do to mitigate the trauma against yourself, do it. And whatever you can do to mitigate the trauma against someone that you say you love, do it. Because there are very few things that mean more to me than somebody that's like, you deserve better than this, Angie. You deserve better than this. Because I do deserve better than that. I deserve a brother that goes, our mom is a complete fucking mess. What she did to you 
what she allowed to happen to you as a child is abominable. But then what she did to you as an adult to try and force your kids into a relationship with her and your parents is so much worse. I will never speak to her again. I deserve that. You deserve whatever it means for you to feel safe and secure and loved. So what does it mean to be somebody's believer? It means doing the work of not re-traumatizing them, educating yourself on what that looks like as somebody that is going to show up for somebody that's been traumatized. Not making them do the work for you about saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable with that. But asking, like, what feels good to you? Or how can I support you in this? Um, Do you need me to come with you? Do you need me to stand with you? Do you need them to tell you you don't have to go? What What can you do to support somebody in your life that is traumatized? And how can you work hard to not re-traumatize somebody else by not showing up for them in a way that keeps them safe as much as any of us can keep each other safe? Because what that does for a traumatized person, I can speak for myself, it helps them to go, I'm worth it. It helps them to go, I'm worth believing. I'm worth loving. I'm worth showing up for. I matter. I can do this. Someday it will be better. And that's important. That's important in friendships. That's important in partnerships and marriages. That's important for our children to know that if somebody harms them, that we're not going to keep bringing that person back around and we're not going to tell our children to shut it down that you you don't want to hear about it, that it's inconvenient for you, well, it's much more inconvenient to be traumatized. Thank you for listening. I know this was a hard one. Believe me, I know. All of it's hard. And a lot of us are living through very hard things right now. Be kind to yourself. If you've gotten it wrong, you can say you're sorry. If you've gotten it wrong for yourself and put yourself back in situations and then regretted it and you're beating yourself up for that, forgive yourself. Look for ways that you can not do that again or people that can help you not do that again that will support your decisions to not put yourself in those places to make other people happy. Because it's not really going to make them happy anyway. Because they're telling you they want you to ignore who you really are and what really happened to you for the sake of the whole instead of what's important to you, what feels good to you, and who you are. And that's not love. Take care of yourself. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. I love you.